I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And we're the Trade Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. This week on The Trade Guys, we're lucky to have with us Sweden's ambassador to the United States, Karin Olofsdotter. The ambassador is going to help us break down the latest Brexit news and explain why Sweden's relationship with the United States goes beyond Spotify and beyond IKEA. Ambassador, we're so excited to have you here. Let me just start by asking, are you the coolest ambassador in D.C. right now? I think you might be. I think I am. Yeah, I think you are, too. I mean, it's, it it's is like, a stiff competition, though. It, there's some pretty cool ambassadors. Yeah. But, like, you're by far, like, you're off the charts cool, and we're really glad to have you here. Thank I you. I mean, who, others, who else's country has companies like Spotify, Ikea, Volvo? I mean, you really, you know, and, and plus, of course, you're a trade expert. Who builds so, the 5G net of the United States? Right. Tell exactly. us about that. Ericsson. That's sweet. That's yeah. Ericsson. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Ericsson, yeah. yes. So that's extremely cool. So we're everything from like the coolest coffee shop in New York called Fika right. to Ericsson, ABB, Ikea, H&M, H&M. everything. I'm a big them. Spotify guy. Bill just got Spotify and we haven't activated it yet. Trade no, it's Bill. there. I just haven't haven't used it. But I'm a big fan of your annual uh, Santa Lucia party. Mm-hmm. Anybody who can come up with seven different kinds of herring. Yeah. Deserves Actually, great was, respect. It, you know, honestly, it was 12 last year. It was 12. Mm-hmm. I wasn't invited last year. I'm oh, two years old. I think maybe we when can work on se- that. When there were seven. <laughs> well, now well, that you're I'm, not, I'm not trying to wangle an invitation here, but I'm just... Now that you're uh, trying to wangle an invitation. Respect. But if, if we talk about herring and trade, IKEA yeah. is actually Sweden's largest food exporter. Is it? Yes. Of the processed food that's in the stores, yeah, right? Exactly. Cookies and yeah. cakes the herring and herring and, and the salmon and chocolate. And we'll walk and through everything. an I- Ikea, you'll see a lot of processed food. Sure. Mm-hmm. Most of it is, is, is from Sweden. Yeah. And uh, I didn't realize they were the largest, but that's so, impressive. So, so, Ambassador, most Americans don't probably know that there's a trade relationship between the United States and Sweden um, and certainly the EU. Can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about that and, wh- and why it's so, so important? Well, of course, uh, Sweden is a fairly small country, even though we are now extremely happy to be double digit. We are now 10 million instead of nine. Right. Okay. Uh, so so that's, grown up. that's we've grown up. Is we that all because remember. of the immigrants or is that because of actual babies? I, actually, uh, both. Uh, we have one of the highest fertility rates in Europe uh, because of uh, that most women work and we have excellent daycare. But we can talk about that in another. So this program. is why Sweden's the coolest country. With this my yeah. goes from PG into R. I don't know that we can do that. <laughs> no, I was excited about the daycare. I mean, like oh. yeah, that's that's yeah. that's what's that's okay. cool. That's yeah, what's cool. Yeah. I mean, and that's no, it's, a, it's a very good system. Anyway, so uh, given that we through history have been an exporting country and manufacturing since, you know, beginning of industrialization. We have some very cool big companies because we have been innovative for so long. Uh, And of course, all those companies uh, have been here for the last 150 years or so. So the U.S. is actually our fourth largest market. We are the 14th largest investor in the United States. And then uh, for those of you who are interested in numbers, we are the 84th largest country in the world. 84th. 84th. And we're the 14th largest investor in, in the, the United, United States. States. Yes. So you so punch above your weight. You right. Can so say so that. tell us what that means. So you're the 14th largest. What do you invest in in the United States? 
Oh, everything. Uh, have factories here. Volvo Cars just opened a new factory in uh, South Carolina. That's their second factory, right? No, the, it's their first. Oh, I thought there was one for SUVs and now one for cars. No. It's the same facility. Yes, okay. same facility. South Carolina. Yes. Uh, Volvo Group, the trucks, have uh, several factories. We have... Uh, They're exporting uh, a lot of Volvos to Bethesda, Maryland, I know. They are. Yeah. <laughs> no, but so, you know, we have everything. We create 300, about 360,000 jobs in the United so States. So Ericsson, AstraZeneca. Ericsson, AstraZeneca, ABB, Volvo, as we talked about, uh, H&M. Mm-hmm. The biggest um, security company in the U.S., Securitas, mm-hmm. is actually Swedish. They employ 100,000 people. This is personal security? Yeah. Or, no, or? you know, security if you go to a hotel or a store or yeah. whatever. You know where there's like security guards. Yeah, security. Uh, okay. Yeah, Securitas. That's, that's Swedish. A, that's a Swedish company. Yes. Okay, so literally 360,000 jobs. Mm-hmm. That's nothing to sneeze at. That's a no. lot of jobs. Yeah, and indirectly it's a million. So we'd rather talk about the million. Tell us about the million. <laughs> no, it's, of course, everyone who's providing sub subcontractors, et cetera, to Got all it. these people. Uh, so it's a, it's a big part of the it, it is, and you mentioned the innovation because mm-hmm. what interests me is is uh, you know little little country, little country yeah. ten million people, and you've produced Skype, Spotify, and Dice, which is part of electronic arts, mm-hmm. so video gaming, yeah. very cutting edge industries. Not to mention Ericsson, which is a big company, mm-hmm. and very successful. But you have these ideas that come out of this little country. Yeah. It's amazing. How does that happen? I, I think well, the Estonians would claim Skype. Well, it was a Swede. It was a Swede. Who then moved to Estonia. Estonia. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure it's a great Don't Swedish and Estonian uh, collaboration. Thing, man. Come on. No, but I think it, it comes out of several things. First of all, it's kind of, you know, the Björn Borg effect, if you're familiar with that. If of you have course. a really good tennis player, 15 years later, you have another bunch of really good tennis players because they get inspired. Right. And also... Our school has been set up in the way, first of all, we've had schooling since, for everyone, since 1860s. So we've always had quite educated people in my country. Plus, uh, school has been, uh, there's a lot of criticism towards Swedish school system, but it's creative. People Mm -hmm. are let to be creative. And also, given the egalitarian system, everyone gets a shot. It's kind of like America. You, same idea as building the United States, but just doing it a different way with a social network. But the whole idea is about the individual being its utmost. So that creates that kind of, wow. you're allowed to try. Hadn't uh, that's, yeah, uh, that's... no, it's very interesting, I think. Well, Bjorn Borg was the most stylish tennis player He of all was, time. he was. You should see the film if you haven't seen oh, it. Oh, well, I saw it live when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. But yes, the film mm-hmm. I want to see. I agree. No, but so... I think given our size, uh, someone joked the other day, it's so dark. <laughs> so in the wintertime, people sit around thinking good ideas to make life more fun. Uh, no, but I think we've just created this environment. Mm-hmm. Plus, we are a small economy that's always been trade-oriented and manufacturing and innovation. So it kind of comes through our DNA, I think. So tell us about the bilateral relationship before we get into the larger U.S.-EU relationship. Mm-hmm. How, why is the bilateral relationship with the U.S. and Sweden so strong? Well, for the reasons I said, this is one of the largest markets in the world. Uh, Swedes are very positive to the United States. Uh, we basically all speak English. We are one of the countries in the world that adopts to U.S. culture really quickly. So you all still like us? Yes, we love you. Okay. All right, good. That's good to know. No, and I think everyone has a dream to make it in the United States. I hear that. You know? Yeah, sure. But, of course. I mean, it's, of course, it, because it is such a large market. Uh, and it's fairly easy. It has, I mean, all markets have tr- is 
I would say troublesome to get into because it's a new system, you have to learn it, etc. Sure. But they are so many have been here and they attract more. But of course, we are very worried about uh, the trade policy coming out of the administration right now. We think it's counterproductive to to who we are and who, what the world is right now, uh, and what the world has developed into when it comes to global value chains, uh, effective production lines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And also, the more we work together, the more creative we are, and the more things we can come up come up with. And you know, just the car industry. If you look at that, a Volvo car. If you have an XC90. It's about 10,000 parts. Great car. 10,000 parts from like, I don't know, 50 to 70 different countries. You can't right. source that from one place. It becomes impossible. We had an XC90. That was like our first SUV. We yeah. had a third row. It was great for our kids. Yeah. It's an amazing car. We it actually, is a really good car. It's hard to give away, actually. You should buy a new one. Well, we're you know we're, now the kids are a little older and they don't the third row thing doesn't even work because they're just big boys. So, no, but so you know yeah. this this is problematic. We are really I would say almost upset with the steel tariffs, aluminum tariffs put on yeah. Europe out of security reasons. We are the closest ally. Sure, and this the complexity that you point yes. out of modern supply chains. Yeah, there's a tendency with a lot of American politicians and certainly this administration to view the world as a chain of islands that are somehow disconnected, mm-hmm. when in fact production is a matrix. It's yeah. Yeah, everyone, yeah, things are made on planet Earth, and we make things together worldwide. Yeah. No, and, and also, I mean, this is a huge country, so it's yes. easy to understand why you can think like that. Yes. But when you know how integrated we all are, and mm. look at all the investments we have done. Uh, if we are the 14th largest investor in your country, and this country becomes more protectionist, there are already Swedish companies that are hesitant about making more investments here. Sure. And that's very serious for your economy and for our economy and for growth overall. I, I read somewhere that EU, United States and European Union together consists of 50% of the GDP of the world and 30% of all trade globally. We are each other's greatest partners. Uh, no. So we must solve this together. Bill, how do you when, use, when, when you hear this, Bill, as a former senior United States trade official, you hear this. You hear concern on one of our largest trading partners. What do you, What does this make you think? What I was thinking about while the ambassador was talking about is yet it's a complicated, rocky relationship, uh, particularly not with individual countries, uh, where there's a long history. There's a lot of there's a lot of people that have Swedish roots that live in the United mm-hmm. States. The same is true of all the European countries, but our relationship with the EU is on trade is complicated. Uh, and that's one of the things that, that uh, I hope we can talk about. We didn't get to the finish line mm-hmm. in the Obama administration on TTIP. There's now talk about doing something that's different, uh, and I'm not quite sure what it will be yet. And yet we, we don't seem, we have so much in common, mm-hmm. and we have so many interests in common, particularly uh, as we've been talking here in past weeks about the China challenge that we both face. Uh, it seems that the obvious thing to do would be to be working together uh, more than we are. So what's the problem? Yeah. Of course, the, it is complicated, and there are so many details if you really want to go for a deep agreement like we wanted to with TTIP, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try, and we shouldn't raise more barriers than we already have. We should lessen the ones we have. That's if a problem you, on our side, yes. No, it's, uh, I guess, some, some, somehow on our side, too. But uh, if, for instance, car tariffs are put on Europe for, you know, to be rumored about 25%, that would kill 4,000 jobs in Sweden. And I don't know how many jobs it would actually end in the United States. That's very There's serious. There's a report just out about that yes. that suggests how many thousand 
don't recall sixty the odd thousand, it's something in that like range, that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, sixty thousand job losses in, in the United, United States. States. United States. Yeah. All right, let's back up for a second. Tell our listeners who who don't know what is TTIP. It was uh, well, it still is. It's not dead. It's on right. life support. Uh, it was the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership. It was uh, invented by President Obama and mostly uh, Chancellor Merkel uh, at the time and the French President Sarkozy when he was the president. So it's kind of a top-down uh, thing as opposed to some agreements that were that were bottom-up. And it was effort. It was in theory uh, to try to get to a comprehensive uh, bilateral trade agreement between the United States and the EU. And while it was operating, it was always a little more popular here than it was in Europe. It was one of those things, working on both the Trans-Pacific Partnership and TTIP. TTIP caused very few ruffles with the Congress. They they embraced it. They thought it was a good idea. It didn't have the sort of the strident opposition that that, uh, TPP had for a long time. And yet when I traveled to Brussels, I went to the Grand Place and saw the T-tip Trojan horse in, you know, rolling around on the ground plus. And it seemed to be this focus of <clears throat> whether it was anti-Americanism or anti-globalization or whatever, whatever the sentiment was, it drew a lot of a lot more uh, negative uh, uh, sort of perspective from the NGO community in Europe than it ever did here. Is that like the giant inflatable rat that rolls around Washington? It was a little more attractive than the, the than inflatable the rat. rat. You've seen the rat. <laughs> right, but so. but th- this is, this is a, a question that I really wanted to ask you. My, I agree with Scott. Our, my view was that TTIP was always more popular in the United States than, mm. than it was uh, in Europe. I think part of that was because all of our our trade skeptic folks were busy opposing TPP, and they didn't have time to oppose uh, to yeah. both of them at the same time. And had we finished TPP, then they would have moved over and, and mm. been anti-TTIP. But uh, at the same time, clearly it has problems in Europe. And I guess what, I, what I'm really interested in, one, is sort of why, and has anything changed? Or are we going to have the same problems with civil society, even on a more modest approach now, than we, we, we had two years ago, three years ago? Well, when it comes to to TTIP, uh, I I guess there are always some circles in Europe who are who are worried about the really big American corporations and what that would mean if they would have you know a foothold in Europe and so on. So in a way, you can say it's a kind of anti-Americanism, but I would say more anti huge corporations. Anti-big company. Yes, know. exactly. And what, what would that entail? And we had the same discussions actually when we had uh, when we dis- uh, discussed the uh, deal with Canada, EU and Canada. Those who were really skeptic always pulled up the fact of uh, Canada being a backdoor for U.S. companies going coming into Europe. So, of course, it, I, maybe it wouldn't have e- been easy, but I think we would have gotten it through in Europe uh, in the end. Of course, one can never say for sure. Yes, I think uh, now it, it is fairly fairly difficult. But in Europe, actually, people have become more and more positive to trade agreements, given the rhetoric coming out of the United States with protectionism. So we, you know, we have now deals with so many more countries so than we had be before. So this exactly the opportunity to reframe a U.S. EU trade agreement. Uh, we have uh, to try. If Trump is against try. it, it can't possibly it can't be, be a bad, bad idea. <laughs> right. No, but we have to try. And it is extremely important because, you know, if we are going into an economic recession slowly, I mean, I read that uh, well, some economies in, Euro- down, Euro- yes. in Europe are already mm-hmm. not dropping. Is that right? Dropping, you're you're beginning to see that in Europe? Yeah, I just read that the other day. And, uh, and most 
economists talk about that. 2020, 2021, we will start yes. going into recession. Mm-hmm. Of course, we need to do everything we can to protect jobs, uh, to create more jobs. And if we can do that through a, a trade agreement, that's, of course, extremely good. But it won't be easy. So if we can start out in a slim manner, maybe start on, I know the talks with this Commissioner Malmström and Lighthizer yesterday or the day before was on regulation. Of course, if when we go for new standards, for instance, in areas, if we can set them together, that would be extremely beneficial. So there are a lot of areas where we can do progress. So tell me, are we ever going to be able to solve the chicken problem? I don't. <laughs> this is the that chicken is tax. Are, are you, no, that's not the chicken tax. No, this, this is, is this is the chlorinated chicken. Yeah. Chlorinated chicken. Well, yeah. okay. I, I used to have conversations with. Um, you got to tell us what that is first. Uh, well, the EU doesn't let American chickens in because they are. Uh, we use a chlorine wash to uh, sanitize them, basically to remove bacteria. So we're jive turkeys, is what they're saying. Uh, well, you could look at it that way. Those okay. are not their, those would not be their words, but uh, there is absolutely no sanitary or phytosanitary reason for the European argument. Uh, we don't have millions of Americans dying from diseased chickens. I we don't eat think. a lot of chicken in the United States. We eat a lot of chicken, and we all survive. Yeah. Um, yet, um, when I I used to argue with the uh, European, the previous uh, trade commissioner on, on this subject, who was tried desperately to put together a compromise. You know, there was this period of time in 20, oh, I don't know, 12 or 13 when, yes. uh, when no, it was before that before because that. It, was first, Bu- it was in Bush. Term. Yeah, it was yeah. Bush's second term yeah. when the idea was, can't we find one thing that we can agree on? And maybe if we do one thing, then we can move on to two and three and four. We'll grow that way. And so the one they picked, which was the, 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 the EU suggested it, the commission suggested it, was let's look at chickens. And it turned into this giant nightmare because nobody could agree on on uh, on chickens. And in the end, the commission came up with a quote-unquote compromise, which was probably unacceptable to the United States, but it never got there because I think 27 of the 28 countries ended up in, in the EU ended up opposing it. So it never got off the ground. So wait a minute, we're back to the future now because the talks between Commissioner Malmstrom and uh, and Robert Lighthizer that were reported uh, have have to do with whether or not we're even going to talk about agriculture. Mm. Okay. Well, yes. And uh, so we seem to be, and of course, agriculture was a stopper back 25 years ago. Uh, then we had a period of time when when a billion people in Asia were improving their diets, and American farmers had plenty of places to sell their products. And now we're back to Europe again, and ag's still the problem. Mm-hmm. No, and, and there are those big chunks of policies which are very difficult. For instance, on our side, we would, of course, uh, as our public procurement is open to foreign companies or third countries, we would, of course, like to have reciprocity on that in the United States. So there are those big really big issues that are very hard to move on, but there are so many other things that we could move on. And I think just to show that we could go ahead and find solutions step by step, step, and maybe we don't need a big bang uh, agreement. Maybe we can have smaller ones or more slim ones, but at least that we get going on it because we are each other's most important markets and we share values. And it's Mm -hmm. also for security reasons. Are are people in Europe my sense, though, is a lot of people in Europe are worried about uh, uh, sort of the, the dumbing down of, of European standards, particularly health mm-hmm. and safety standards, that they believe that American standards are inferior and that if we're going to negotiate a trade agreement, that means yours are going to come down 
and that's not a good thing. Mm. Is that a prevail, still a prevailing view? So we, of Could course, be. don't think that's right. Yeah. But. No, I mean, we had that discussion as well when we joined, for instance, I mean, all politics is local. When we joined the European Union uh, in 19, mm. early 1990s, that was a big debate in Sweden, but that hasn't happened. So I think that there are those worries uh, among people, people. There were people then that said that that's what would happen. Sweden's yes, we, standards our standards would be lowered. Would be lowered but if, uh, the way the EU works, you can always have higher standards, but you can't have lower than a certain threshold. So uh, I think it's something we also could probably overcome. So let me ask you this, Ambassador. Is it possible to negotiate on trade with the Trump administration, or is it not worth the effort? Oh, I absolutely think it's worth the effort. Is it possible um, to negotiate with them? That we will see. I mean, discussions are ongoing. There's working group uh, that meets, uh, and as I said, Malmström and Leitheiser met a couple of days ago. They will meet soon again. Uh, so, of course, we will see where that leads, but we have to try because we are so important for each other. And you have a couple of beta tests. The uh, South Koreans found mm-hmm. a way to conclude yeah. their agreement, Canada and Mexico with the USMCA. Exactly. So you can, you can actually reach agreements. Yes. At least that, that's the evidence. Yeah. And, of course, uh, President Trump has a bit of a different uh, negotiation tactics. Uh, but he is saying, you know, always that he's a man who wants to make deals. So I really think we should try. Bilateral deal or a larger deal with the EU and the United States? Oh, it has to be EU and the United States. The uh, individual EU member states cannot do trade deals. We, that's a competence that we have given to Brussels. That was an early confusion by the yes. Trump administration. Yes. Right, that's why I'm asking about it. wanted to do it. a deal with Germany. No, you well, do that's a deal I, with the European well, Union. Well, that's, that's why I'm asking because, you know, are, are you on the same page as the administration? I mean, what what's going on here? Is there really going to be a comprehensive deal between the two? I think it will be very difficult, to be honest, but I think we have to try. Uh, really, because, as I said, we are too important for each other not to try. And to go into a trade war between European Union and the United States, that would be detrimental. As I said, we are 50% of the world's GDP, 30% of world trade. If we go into a trade war, uh, that can end in a very bad state for both of us. The motivator, um, I think, is um, what we talked about a couple minutes ago was China. We both have the same challenges from China. If we can, and I think this is what drove Obama uh, on both TTIP and TPP, which was uh, how do we how do we create a large consumer based rules based trading system into which the Chinese will have to fit if they want to access uh, those markets. Europe and the United States together are the biggest consumer market and exactly. middle class consumer market in the world. We, if we could agree on standards mm-hmm. and rules and health and safety uh, standards, then if China wants to access that market, they're going to have to meet those standards. They're going to have to meet those disciplines on state-owned enterprises. They're going to have to meet those rules on intellectual property. Uh, and if we don't do that, what's going to happen is already happening, which is China is selling its standards and its rules to the rest of the world. Exactly. We totally agree with you. That's yeah, why the scope can get there. You can become an honorary suite. <laughs> <laughs> See, that, that's, all you need well, is two of you to get together and we'll have an agreement. Right? But that's why the negotiations that are going on now regarding the scope of the talks between yes. Europe and the United States are so important because you could start with industrial goods. Industrial goods, while not without controversy, is probably the easiest yes. thing to agree on. There's massive amounts of trade going on, high volumes, very low current tariffs. There's, there's a deal to be made on industrial goods that's pretty straightforward. Then you get into services, okay, which is 
more of the rules, the difficulty. And you mentioned big companies. I would note that of the five largest companies in the United States by market capitalization, only one of them makes things, Apple, yeah. which uh, but the other four are, are Amazon, Alphabet or Google, uh, Microsoft, and Netflix yeah. are all services companies. And in fact, the Apple, the company that don't, makes goods, doesn't make them here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Makes them in China, <laughs> ironically. Yeah, it makes them in China. Pretty exactly. much, right. So, so the services is the next big chunk where, where a lot of the, the sort of the rules really matter. And then, of course, I don't know of anybody, any politician in the United States who has an idea how to pass a trade agreement without the farm community, which means agriculture is always subject to discussion. So where do we go from here? No, but I agree with you. I mean, we have to, if we can start with industrial goods, try to achieve some some results. And as you say, and as you said, Europe and the United States, if we set the standards, the rest will follow. And of course, exactly. China is an enormous market with lots of people who, of course, uh, want to have a stronger economy, a better life. And if uh, if then it's our rules that are fair and good for labor and, and so on that are setting the rules, of course, that would hopefully lead to a better world for, for many people. So I think that's extremely important to always remember that Europe or the EU and the United States, there are no, there, there are no partners in the world who are closer <laughs> than us. And it may sound a bit superficial, but it is true. If you look at at the exchanges between our countries and our histories together, uh, both when it comes to trade and security and so on, it's all connected. So, so, so it why, is extremely important. We, why do you think we can't reach a deal right now, given all that? Well, I think uh, both the United States and Europe, we are in, uh, you know, for instance, in Sweden, we haven't been able to form a government for 70 days. Right. So there are tensions within our societies. Uh, we are probably in a quite large shift when it comes to how we live, uh, all of us, because we have a technological shift that creates uncertainty. We have lots of uh, industries that have disappeared. Uh, People feel worried and frustrated because they don't know what their future work life will be. Uh, They live in areas where the industry has closed down and it's not so easy to move. I mean, there are lots of these kind of factors, both in Europe and in the United States, that creates tensions and anxiety. And of course, then it's easy to think that, oh, it's better we just close everyone else out out, <laughs> and we will be prosperous in our own little bubble. But mm-hmm. the world doesn't work like that anymore. It's not possible to, to turn back time uh, and create that kind of environment. And we're we, better off for the world that we have. Yes. Our economies are booming. Yes. The Swedish economy is going great. The U.S. economy is going great. Unemployment has never been so low. So this is when your economy is doing great. This is the time when you move ahead and, and invest in the future. And, and that's what we need to do. So, so well, it's really important for us, I think. I'll tell you a story. I had a conversation yesterday with one of our, one of our American trade negotiators. And I was asking who shall remain anonymous. Um, Why do they have to remain anonymous? Oh, uh, because of the story. Okay. <laughs> because Bill would never get another story if they weren't anonymous. Got it. Okay. Got and the program, the program would die. This would be his last no, story. I, I, and I said, what What are we going to do first with Europe? Are we going to do tariffs, mm-hmm. industrial tariffs, or are we going to do regulations? Because I've been hearing from Europeans mm-hmm. that we were going to do tariffs first. And he said, well, we're moving ahead with regulations. And that was a meeting uh, the other day that Ambassador Lighthizer had with with Commissioner Malmstrom. 
And I said, but I, I think aren't tariffs are easier because they're just about numbers, you know. I say 10, you say zero. There's some number we can agree on. And, and his, But his comment was, well, you might think so, but can you imagine what Congress would do, the U.S. Congress would do, if we bring an agreement back that has nothing in it on agriculture? Mm. And even though the agreement with Juncker in July left agriculture out. That's because Juncker's the trade whisperer. He is the trade whisperer, and he whispered really, he did a good job uh, for his side. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what did, what did he get? He got no no agriculture and no car tariffs for the time being. Right. And what did we get? A negotiation. You know, we got kind of played. But what's going <laughs> yeah. on, what's going on now is an effort to claw that back mm. and say, oh, we need to talk about agriculture. Mm. And uh, Momstrom, of course, is saying, no, mm. not in the document. We're not going to do that. That doesn't give me a lot of optimism about the path forward. I'm, I'm not entirely sympathetic to the U.S. side. We gave that away, and now we want to get it back. But, you know, it's going to be a complicating factor. Mm. No, so, I agree with you. It is a complicating factor. Absolutely. So, And you see no possibility on agriculture in the short term. Short term, I think it's very difficult. Uh, I think one has to, I mean, because these are issues that are tricky within the union as well, between the member states, our agricultural policy and so on. It's always sensitive because it goes to people, to the nation's hearts in a, in a way. Uh, so that is difficult. For our, my own country, it's not so difficult because we have kind of a more uh, large-scale agricultural sector, uh, not like in France and Italy and some other countries where it's more like family farms and so on. Uh, so, so that is quite different. But I, I, I really, th- it is one of the most difficult areas. It's extremely sensitive. We should translate. Very difficult is Japanese for not in a million years. Right. <laughs> well, I was going to say another thing that's very difficult that we haven't talked about yet is Brexit. Mm. What's your What's your view of the current situation with Brexit? Uh, we are, of course, extremely sad that the the UK is leaving. Yeah. This is one of our closest allies right. in 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 the European Union. Uh, like us, a staunch uh, supporter of free trade. Right. Uh, so so for us, it's it's really bad. And um, it's our sixth largest market as well. 100,000 Swedes uh, live in the UK. Uh, over 1,000, how many companies was it? 4,000. Uh, yeah, no, 1,000 companies uh, in the UK. Uh, we have um, 3, 000, over 3,000 companies that export to the UK. So it's not just, of course, about trade. It's, it's that we are losing one of the biggest partners uh, in, the, in the European Union. That is, is sad. And we also believe that what we have built in the European Union for so long, it is a peace project. That's what it is. It's not a trade organization. And, and of course, the UK is an extremely important partner in that. So we are, uh, we are sad that they are leaving, but that's a decision of the British well, what people. What does it specifically mean for Sweden? Well, lost job opportunities, uh, you know, three big countries, Germany, France and the UK are very influential in the European Union. And now we are losing our closest partner in many issues. Uh, So, of course, that's... um, Are you concerned they're going to throw your people out? Yes, of course. We don't know what the end deal will be, of course. We are happy with this transition deal. And it's very important to remember that the deal that... Now, uh, the British government and, and, and the Commission has 
has come to, that's an interim agreement before they actually, I mean, they exit, but then it gives the them and everyone else time to sort out what will the future agreement mm-hmm. be with the European Union and the United Kingdom. So this is not a the future agreement. This is an interim solution to making them leave. And then in December 2020, we have to find the final agreement with our future relationship. So we feel that what was reached now gives stability and predictability for companies to phase out uh, or phase into whatever the new situation will be, uh, as well as for for people, uh, for citizens, uh, and also uh, a good construction on the border issue with uh, between Northern Ireland and Ireland. Because, of course, we are also concerned that there could be tensions like political tensions and so on that's been that's been in the past. So we we were happy with this deal uh, that was reached now. Then we will, of course, see how that play, plays out in the United Kingdom. Right now, it looks like it will be very difficult to get that through the British Parliament. So, so how is Sweden preparing for Brexit? Well, we have done a lot of studies on what it would mean for us, even when it comes down to our customs services, because, you know, given that we joined the European Union, we basically, I think we had 12,000 people working in customs. Now we have 2,000 people. Uh, And as the UK is our largest market, we have to look into that again, for instance. Uh, So that's one way of preparing. So we are looking into different sectors of our business life uh, to see how that would work. Of course, we are not uh, shy. We also try to get companies that are in the UK to move to Sweden. For instance, <laughs> if you are, I, I read an article. Or, that, now that's preparation. As, uh, that's as, preparation. As an For instance, uh, once said, never waste a crisis. Yeah, no, but uh, I, a long time ago, uh, I read a couple of years ago when this happened, uh, was an interview, I think, with Japanese who have all their car research in in Europe, they have in the UK. Well, where's the best place to do research for cars? Well, that's Gothenburg in Sweden, of course, where Volvo is. So uh, I hope we can attract uh, companies that want to still be in the European Union, uh, but then don't want to operate in the UK anymore to, to come to Sweden instead. Ambassador, this is fantastic. Thank you for coming on the Trade Guys today and giving your insights. Before we close, we yeah. should give a shameless plug to the website of the Embassy of Sweden. Oh, yes. Because it has a fantastic – in fact, the ambassador brought the brochures. We've yes. been looking at them here. We are. But it shows Sweden's contribution to the American economy and the number of Americans who work uh, for Swedish firms <clears throat> or export to Sweden. And state by state, it's a it, it's all available on the website. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful sort of PDF version of it. The the, the full-color, shiny version is really impressive. Yeah, but, so like you, you can find out on the website how many jobs specifically in each state, kind of like our Trade Guys graphic that breaks down state by state what um, each state does trading-wise with Europe, with China, with Canada, with Mexico. So here you can look up so – the, so the state of Maryland, for instance, has uh, over 6,000 jobs that are directly attributed to Sweden. Yeah, Who and we want, we want to create more jobs here. I want you to create more jobs here, too. Yeah. Let's, uh, so, Bill, what are we going to do about that? Well, if things work out, we're going to have an agreement yeah. <laughs> between uh, okay. the EU and us. I think if the, the, the reason to do it is so strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm hoping that in the end that will prevail. I think the administration, our administration, is slowly, very slowly, coming to the realization that when it comes to taking on China, that can only be done successfully with a coalition. Mm. We cannot do it successfully by ourselves. 
And, and neither can we. Well, exactly. This is a president who has so far had no interest in coalitions. Everything is going to be bilateral. I think this is a case where they are beginning to understand, and heaven knows they've been told by enough people, that you can't do that. Uh, you can't succeed uh, with China on your own. You need help. There is no better help than if we can get a united Europe with the United States moving in the same direction. I hope that will be sufficient motivation. We'll here, see. here. Well, I should conclude by saying The Trade Guys is now officially on Spotify. Excellent. So you can listen to The Trade Guys. You can listen to this episode on Spotify. Which is Swedish. Which is Swedish. To our listeners, if you have a question for The Trade Guys, write us at tradeguys at csis.org. That's tradeguys at csis.org. We'll read some of your emails and have the trade guys react to it. Thank you, trade guys. Thank you. You've been listening to The Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.